Thanks. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Spiritual Insights with Charlotte Spicer. Spirituality and Metaphysics Talk Radio. Featuring a course in miracles, dream interpretation, guided meditation, and the psychic and metaphysics free-for-all. It's your opportunity to consult with a professional psychic medium, discuss past lives, the chakras, and more. We are non-denominational, and there are no limits. Want to change your life? You must first change your mind. 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 No matter your religious structure, cultivate peace in your reality through self-awareness with an authentic spiritual teacher. And now, your host, Charlotte Spicer. Welcome to Spiritual Insights, everyone, from wherever you're listening and whenever you're listening to this segment. Today is our virtual class with A Course in Miracles, and Robert Rosenthal, MD, joins me once again to help break down the concepts of the course as they are presented. If you're not familiar, A Course in Miracles is published by the Foundation for Inner Peace, and Dr. Bob has served on the board of directors for the foundation since 1992. He was a close personal friend of Dr. Bill Thefford, co-scribe of the course, and has been familiar with his teaching since before it was published. He is the author of From Plagues to Miracles, The Transformational Journey of Exodus, From the Slavery of Ego to the Promised Land of Spirit, which interprets the biblical story of Exodus and demonstrates the ego's perception of life's conditions. In today's segment, we'll explore and interpret the text in Chapter 7, Section 11, entitled The State of Grace. We chose this section to help everyone and ourselves get back to peace beyond the tragic conditions of the world, especially this past week in Orlando, Florida. This section explains beautifully the oneness we share with our brothers and sisters, how grace is our natural state, and how recognizing the majesty of God in all others contributes to the ever-present circular reference of giving and receiving. As we recognize the truth within us, we recognize the truth of all situations. If you'd like to learn more about From Plagues to Miracles or Dr. Bob, visit FromPlaguesToMiracles.com. At the website, you can read excerpts or purchase the book, and it would make a profound addition to your spiritual library. If you're new to the course and would like to study it, I highly recommend you read From Plagues to Miracles first, as it, will, it, it serves as a, an excellent primer for the concepts, and that will help you. And if you are a current student, it will help you deepen your understanding. To learn more about the course and purchase a copy of it, visit ACIM.org. And there's lots to um, peruse there, virtual classes, and much more. If you enjoy our classes together and you'd like to hear other episodes and study with us, review the archives at spiritualinsightsradio.com. And if you would like to receive a free MP3 of a special guided meditation related to the course, please send me a testimonial about the show and what you like about it. We do these segments to be of service to the spiritual community and to lend support to students of the course. We learn. So let's all learn together. This is A Course in Miracles, ladies and gentlemen. Please take notes. Now, join me in welcoming Dr. Bob back to the show for his segment, and we're going to talk about a few things. How are you, Dr. Bob? I'm overall pretty good. Uh, I've been very, very busy because we are in the midst of selling our house in New Jersey, buying one in California, and making uh, a cross-country move, as well as closing my psychiatry practice so that I can 
um, joined the Foundation for Inner Peace as co-president uh, with uh, Judy Scutchwitson's daughter, Tam Morgan, and, um, and allow those who have been shepherding this wonderful organization for the last 40 years to relax a little and, uh, you know, go into some real deep places and get to that final step. Mm, that's a big announcement. And so you'll yeah. be taking the summer off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, Congratulations. July... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, by August, maybe I'll be ready to do another segment, but I, I can't make any promises. We've just kind of left linear time here, and uh, who knows what's going to show up. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well somebody just... knows. Capital W just not us. knows, right? But not not me, not you, not us, right? Right. Well, just you know, just be sure that and that you know that there is flexibility, and if you want to do a segment, you can, and if you can't, that's okay. Uh, I'm going to do a few it. things over the summer uh, to keep things going and keep up the momentum, and um, trying to get a select group of students together to have on the air and and kind of uh, just. Do do what I normally do um, mm. in person, and we'll see how that goes. I'll keep you posted, but I do hope everything goes smoothly. And if it doesn't, I know you know what to do to rise above it. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm well, sure you'll I'm be okay. Too. But, the, but one way or the other, the next time we do this show, I will be talking from, uh, from Marin County, California. So that will be very different than looking out my window here and it's pouring rain. And uh, that doesn't happen in that part of California in August or September. So uh-huh. we'll have uh, changes in the lives of God's teachers. <laughs> Yes, and the past several winters have been very hard, and I could hear hear your fatigue and your voice looking at it over two feet of snow and oh, all I yeah. could do with it. So no more of that wow. either. Yeah. No more of that either, right? right. I know. It, we're, now we'll both be in paradise. <laughs> so, That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I we, we chose this section, Brothers, uh, try to get an idea of how to locate that peace and bring it back into our hearts. I know a lot of people are upset about the uh, tragedy. Um, I think we just, if we go through this section, people might get a glimmer of hope to make them feel a little better, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, like, like so many um, sections of the text, this one's jammed with good stuff. And, I think if we follow the format that we've been following the last several months where we read a paragraph alternately and just take the time to discuss it, that that would be um, wonderful. In fact, I was out on the West Coast for um, an executive board meeting of the Foundation for Inner Peace in in May, and one of the things that um, that Judy brought out was – a piece channeled by Helen in 1978, so well after the course was published, on kind of the role, or maybe it was even earlier. Maybe it was, um, you know, from the founding of the, the the Foundation for Inner Peace, about what the role of the foundation was to be, and it was mm-hmm. to um, publish, dis- disseminate, and discuss a course in miracles. Now, I'd always mm-hmm. remembered it as teach a course in miracles, and when I saw the actual words of discuss. I thought, that's great, because discuss, one, implies two people, 
uh, or more, which makes it a relationship. It, it immediately makes clear why study groups have taken off so much because we're all there discussing it. Discussions mm -hmm. happen among equals. You know, someone might be more knowledgeable on a topic in that moment than someone else, but, you know, we're all learning simultaneously. And I think it just is a beautiful description of what you and I have been doing. Yeah, we're, we're discussing. And we don't have an agenda. We're really, our, our only agenda is to be agendaless and allow spirit to come through and take the discussion in whatever direction, you know, spirit wants to take it. Because um, spirit has that fullness of knowing all listeners, present and future, and what their circumstances are, and shaping our words and our thoughts in such ways that they'll be of maximum benefit to uh, everyone. So I'm looking forward well, to the discussion. <laughs> Me too. I always am. Okay, do you want to jump into it? Yeah. Um, okay. So this is, as Char said, from Chapter 7, titled The Gifts of the Kingdom, Section 11, The State of Grace. And it is the um, concluding um, section of that chapter. So I'll just start. I'll read the first paragraph then, if that's okay. Sounds great. All right. The Holy Spirit will always guide you truly because your joy is his. This is his will for everyone because he speaks for the kingdom of God, which is joy. Following him is therefore the easiest thing in the world and the only thing that is easy because it is not of the world. It is therefore natural. The world goes against your nature, being out of accord with God's laws. The world perceives orders of difficulty in everything. This is because the ego perceives nothing as wholly desirable. By demonstrating to yourself there is no order of difficulty in miracles, you will convince yourself that, in your natural state, there is no difficulty at all because it is a state of grace. Uh-uh-uh. Mm. <laughs> Let's take okay, that from that's the great. <laughs> we can stop. <laughs> that says it all. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yes. I mean, so there are a lot of places to jump in here. Yeah, let me just, I mean, just off the top of my head, I, I think this, this section emphasizes a number of points that show up all through the course. One, um, you know, the kingdom of God, which is within us. The course makes that very clear in several places. In fact, you know, in one place it says the kingdom of God is you, um, is also joy. So when we're in our natural state, we're joyous. But I want to just qualify that. I think most of us don't even understand um, what joy is because we're so used to running our lives as if we were egos and as if we were separate from God and spirit that we think of joy in a more kind of reactive way. There always has to be something to be joyful about. Otherwise, you know, what's the matter with you? Um, someone who's joyful with no reason is probably, you know, a bipolar disorder in a manic episode. Um, but <laughs> no, what this is saying is our natural state actually is joy. Um, and that, therefore, uh, you know, the, the easiest thing in the world is to be joyful. Now, looking at that from my own personal perspective right now, selling a house, buying a house, all of the uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's and the technical legalese, I'm thinking, what are they talking about? But 
I know exactly what they're talking about. It is that all of the back and forth of this world, whether it's the most picayune little, gee, someone didn't smile at me, or, um, you know, my favorite food got eaten by my kids in the refrigerator, to the worst tragedies like the shooting at the uh, nightclub in Orlando that took place this last week, that they are all aspects of the world of form, and therefore it is impossible to really capture and embrace joy while here, but hold on, and while identifying with your ego. It is possible to be joyous if we don't identify with our ego, but, but that's quite a catch. Um, this, the, 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 uh, the paragraph goes on to talk about perceiving orders of difficulty, and how the ego is always perceiving orders of difficulty in everything. And if you'll remember, um, you know, seasoned students of A Course in Miracles will remember that the very first miracle principle is that um, there is no order of difficulty in miracles. Uh, you know, one is not uh, harder or bigger than another. They are all the same because all expressions of love are maximal. So right here we see this profound contrast between the world as the ego sees it, where everything is about order of difficulty. Some things are easy, some things are hard. I'm good at this, he's good at that. Um, that makes us, as opposed to the oneness of spirit, where there can be no orders of difficulty because there is no differences. There are no differences. Everything is one. And um, that particular paragraph caused me to go look at a section of the manual for teachers called uh, section eight called how can perception of order of difficulties be avoided and i i, I just thought that it um it, it it talks about that in 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 quite a, a beautiful way um so if that's if it's okay i think i'm going to read a little from that section or if, yeah, if or great. we can come back to it so just well, no, section I think in, yeah, go ahead. I think it's a good time because I'm just looking. I'm I'm looking right at the second sentence, and it's perfect. So go ahead. Let's let's get this Great. solidified. Mm -hmm. So yeah, to really understand this question of order of difficulties, you know, when we really grasp it, it takes us into the heart of the course's teaching, and that's to me one of the beautiful things about a course in miracles is there's so many seemingly different concepts. Notice again, we're in the world of differences. We're in the world of form. And yet each one, when we embrace it and follow it to its center, takes us to the exact same understanding, the exact same knowledge. So what the Manual for Teachers says uh, about, I mean, the, the section is titled, How Can Perception of Order of Difficulties Be Avoided? And it starts out by saying, the belief in order of difficulties is the basis for the world's perception. That's exactly what this paragraph tells us. The ego perceives nothing as wholly desirable. Um, you, know, uh, you know, following uh, the Holy Spirit is the easiest thing in the world, and the only thing easy because it's not of the world. The world is about difficulties. So the belief in order of difficulties, and I'm reading again, is the basis for the world's perception. It rests on differences on uneven background and shifting foreground, on unequal heights and diverse sizes, on varying degrees of darkness and light, and thousands of contrasts in which each thing seen competes with every other in order to be recognized. 
A larger object overshadows a smaller one. A brighter thing draws the attention from another with less intensity of appeal. And a more threatening idea, or one conceived of as more desirable by the world's standards, completely upsets the mental balance. What the body's eyes behold is only conflict. Look not to them for peace and understanding. Uh-huh. Illusions are always illusions of differences. How could it be otherwise? By definition, an illusion is an attempt to make something real that is regarded as of major importance but is recognized as being untrue. So illusions are always illusions of differences. Again, in the world of illusions, this is what you're going to be seeing, hearing, feeling, believing. This is the world we live in. And and I think that that paragraph from the Manual for Teachers is just so instructive in that it really makes clear if you're perceiving, you need healing. Um, If you see yourself as a body, if you see other people as a body, by the way, I, I suspect it encompasses all but about, you know, um, seven people on the planet. Um, and those seven, you know who you are. Uh, but um, <laughs> the world of perception is the world of differences. Uh, and and in that world, it's all order of difficulty, which is bait for the ego, because now, now the ego can come in and go, hey, you know, this is tough. Let me help you with it. Let's start making some plans. Um, Let's look around and find those relationships that are going to help us achieve our plans. And let's look around and find those people who, you know, they're going to attack us. They're going to get in the way of our plans. We'd better defend against them. And before you know it, as, as the section in the manual just said, you know, we're stuck in contrasts and, and desires that overshadow other things uh, and certainly trample on peace uh, and fears, and around and around it goes. This is not our natural state. This is not the state of grace. Um, so I think the two points that I would want to emphasize from that first paragraph are the the fundamental nature of joy as our birthright, although even birthright, you know, um, positions it in this world because obviously God doesn't give birth, God creates. Um, And this idea that the ego can't perceive anything as wholly desirable, it can only perceive order of difficulty where one thing is better than another, one person seems better than another for the time being. Because you know what, the moment you jump on that bandwagon, it, it no longer feels so good. Uh, and I think this is why people, why, why there's such a high divorce rate. You know, we marry someone who just seems amazing when we meet them. We're floating on cloud nine. And then, yeah, turns out, you know, they have their issues. They leave dishes in the sink. They have bad breath. Um, they don't agree with us on everything. Imagine that, um, you know, and, and and now we go out looking for somebody else. So peace does not come from differences. All right, and I, I just want—I just want to add to yep. that about um, number one about the seven people on the planet. I do believe <laughs> it's six now. I do believe it's six now, Bob. Uh, Mother Teresa died, so I didn't know just, that. Oh my! <laughs> <laughs> so, so it might be six. I'm not sure, but um, with regard well, to Jewish marriage teaching, it's actually 36. They call them Lamed Vavniks because th- Lamed Vav means 36. And the teaching uh-huh. is as soon as one dies, someone else immediately 
you know, is sort of elevated to take their place. So oh. the new Mother Teresa is already out there, um, and maybe we know her and maybe we don't, um, but, but, but yeah. Um, okay. It's so not a whole lot of people. We can agree <laughs> on that. <laughs> right? It's just a handful. And uh, yeah. with respect to what you said about marriage, I just, just to throw in, you know, we, we like the tongue-in-cheek humor. Just to throw in that, yes, and spouses often have the most annoying habit of reflecting our thoughts, feelings, and issues so perfectly, it, it'll make you want to pull your hair out. But they are the perfect mirrors, Indeed. and uh, that that that's all part of relationships. So that's where we well, are with that. You know, the, I mean, the Course says, you know, relationship is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, what does it mean by that? You know, in its truest form, relationship is how we find our way back oneness through union. Um, I don't think union itself is oneness because union implies that there were separate parts that then joined together. Um, Mm -hmm. But that is the task before us. And it's got to start somewhere. So it's going to start in your relationship. And as Char just said, you know, relationship is a beautiful, beautiful blank screen on which your partner is going to bring up everything that you need to work on. So when it comes up, don't blame them. You know, it's your learning experience. Thank them. And they, yeah, thank them, ideally. And, yeah. and if, it's, if it's a positive, uh, healthy, holy relationship, then there's bountiful opportunities for, for gratitude because as you learn about yourself, then you clear out those misperceptions about yourself, about the other, and, and, and it goes out from there. So there's a lot of opportunity for um, learning and self-awareness through relationship. But I also want to add where the sentence where it says following him is therefore the easiest thing in the world and the only thing that is easy because it is not of this world. And I just want to kind of take that and break it apart in that if it's of this world, it is going to be difficult because we're perceiving it with the senses and interpreting it with the ego. This is the easiest thing because this demonstrates our ever-present connection to God. And that is our natural state. That is our natural, um, it's our natural environment because we are not of this world. We are human, we are spirit, spiritual beings having a human experience. So if the whole goal is to look above the world of illusion and get beyond all these misperceptions, then that one perception makes it easy that we are of God. And once we maintain that connection, it's totally natural. It's not of this world and it will help us make sense of things. Does that make sense? Perfect sense, yeah. Okay. And in fact, it, it's a perfect uh, lead-in to the next paragraph. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'll just jump into that. This is paragraph two. Grace is the natural state of every son of God. When he is not in a state of grace, he is out of his natural environment and does not function well. Everything he does becomes a strain because he was not created for the environment that he has made. He therefore cannot adapt to it, nor can he adapt it to him. There is no point in trying. A son of God is happy only when he knows he is with God. That is the only environment in which he will not experience strain because that is where he belongs. It is also the only environment that is worthy of him because his own worth is beyond anything he can make. So this is about recognizing who we truly are as a child of God and that holy state that we exist in at such a subtle level, but cannot recognize with the brains that we've trained to not recognize it. 
and this environment that we are projected into from soul level into a human body and looking around ourselves at this landscape of good and bad. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, makes it very difficult. The strain comes in when we try to make sense of it all. The bottom line is it doesn't make sense. It's not meant to, it's just meant to be a reflection to help us grow. And then it says the son of God is only happy when he knows he's with God. And what that brings to mind, and, and I know we touch on this pretty regularly on the show, but think of, think of moments when you're truly happy, and those are the moments where you're engaged, whether you're in love with somebody and interacting with them, whether you explore the creative arts, painting, drawing, dancing, singing, and even those who enjoy connecting to nature. Picture a man sitting on the edge of a lake casting out a fishing rod, and how peaceful that makes people feel. So when we're engaged and feel connected to God, even when we're looking at our children, that is when we're truly happy. But I do believe that as the course states, every mood we experience is a choice. So no matter how you feel or how you interpret the world around you on any given day, it's easy to make the decision to go back to a state of happiness, knowing that it is easy to do it, because it is natural and not, as it states in the previous paragraph, of this world. So we escape the illusion by choosing to be happy and choosing to feel that connection to God and maintaining that for as long as we can. And then if if that feels broken, then you just get back to it. Do you want to augment that in some way, Dr. Baum? Um, I think you said it beautifully. I, I, I just you know would point out there are these places where the course does some lovely um, understated humor. So it says, you know, when he is not in a state of grace, he is out of his natural environment and does not function well. I mean, does not function well doesn't begin to, uh, you know, call it, if you look around at, at this crazy world and and all of the uh, seeming sadness, pain, and misery in it, uh, yeah, we are indeed not functioning very well. Um but what this is saying, as you just were, were talking about, is we're out of our element. This, this, we weren't created to be in a world of form where we perceive orders of difficulty in everything, including ourselves. We were made in the, you know, in the image of our Creator's thought, uh, which is oneness, um, and, and that's it. You know, if, even if you think about it metaphorically in terms of, say, animals in this world, I mean a bird is going to be very comfortable in a tree and flying. Um, Stick a bird, you know, three feet into the ground, it it can't function. Uh, It's going to die. On the other hand, an earthworm is going to be delighted, you know, a couple feet in the ground, but, you know, put it on a tree branch up in the air somewhere uh, and it's going to fall and die. You know, we, we are created for different environments and our natural environment is not the body it is spirit. Um, it is the oneness, you know, that, that, that God created us in. And I just want to emphasize, in the last sentence, it says, um, you know, our own worth is beyond anything that we can make. And here, you know, the Course draws a, uses words in very particular ways. And for those who haven't been with it for a long time, it reserves the term creation just for God and what God does, 
and what we do when we are back in that state of oneness. Uh, and we'll see later in this section, it, it talks about that. It uses the word making for making this world of form uh, to distinguish that it's a process very, very different from how God creates. Um, it's not a sharing. It's um, it's more like a, a strange form of virtual reality hallucination that we all buy into, but that nonetheless we all see completely differently because it's defined by separation. So, mm -hmm. you know, that word make, I just wanted to, you know, emphasize that. That's important. Um, and I, I like your animal um, analogy because obviously animals run on instinct. There are, there are several on the planet that do have personalities but they primarily run on instinct we have instinct and yet at the same time we also have egos that translate interpret and try to convince us of what to believe and it's never going to be true it's all going to be bent to its own purpose of keeping us hostage yeah, yeah. and and so that's why we feel so out of our element being here sometimes being in these bodies and interacting with the outside world because we can't make it adapt to us or our wishes or our preferences. And we can't seem to adapt to it no matter how we try. And it's always a strain and it's always a struggle. And it, it will always be a challenge until we make it habit, until we make it habit to get into our right minds and rise above it and look for the truth as we'll get into. I, I just want to add, you know, in um, the manual for teachers, the section you just read from, uh, section 8 about how can perception of order of difficulties be avoided. In the last paragraph, paragraph 6, the first two sentences state, the body's eyes will continue to see differences, but the mind that has let itself be healed will no longer acknowledge them. And that's the key that's to lovely, yes. getting, getting beyond that, I think. Yeah, I mean, good, that answers a great question because people say, well, you know, if, if you know what what happens in that state of grace or if you achieve enlightenment, um, obviously you don't stop functioning in the world. So, yes, you see, you know, the body's eyes register, the, register those differences, but the mind truly overlooks them and is fully able to not perceive, not sense, but to know the light that lies beyond and within, you know, each seemingly separate form. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you picked that one up. Uh, that, that is really important. Beautiful. You want to move on to paragraph three? Yeah. So let's go on. This is paragraph three. Consider the kingdom you have made and judge its worth fairly. Is it worthy to be a home for a child of God? Does it protect his peace and shine love upon him? Does it keep his heart untouched by fear and allow him to give always without any sense of loss? Does it teach him that this giving is his joy and that God himself thanks him for his giving? That is the only environment in which you can be happy. You cannot make it any more than you can make yourself. It has been created for you as you were created for it. God watches over his children and denies them nothing. Yet when they deny him, they do not know this because they deny themselves everything. You who could give the love of God to everything you see and touch and remember are literally denying heaven to yourself. Uh, uh, uh. So this is, in a sense, almost a lovely um, counterpart to what that, that, that first paragraph um, I read from 
you know, the, the teacher's manual about perceiving order of difficulty. That described the world we see, the contrast, the desires, the fears. This is kind of asking us um, in a very didactic, uh, you know, kind of Socratic form, is this world really worthy uh, as a home for a child of God? You know, and then goes on to elaborate all of those things that a worthy home would do, you know, protecting our peace, shining love upon us, keeping us our hearts untouched by fear, um, giving all the time, but never losing. Um, and right there, that, that, that cues us in. It's not about being in a physical form. That's not where it comes from, because people read that and um, I've been in some groups where it's misinterpreted as, oh, I have to give all the time. I better give away everything I have. Well, it doesn't matter whether you give everything away or you don't give everything away because that's the world of form. It's about recognizing your inner self as as love, as that child of God, and realizing that the only thing you can give is that love because you're an idea. God is an idea. You're an idea. Ideas leave not their source. We can't ever escape our reality as an idea. And when an idea is shared, it grows. And that is how God's creation works. We share ourselves completely as we do that. Um, you know, we, we create something else that then shares itself completely, and yet we lose nothing in the process. Um, I also want to look at that last line, you who could give the love of God to everything you see and touch and remember are literally denying heaven to yourself. And I think this is this is the beauty of doing these discussions, which Char just read from the end of uh, that last paragraph of that section of the teacher's manual about the body's eyes will continue to see differences, but the mind will no longer acknowledge them. I think we have to understand that to understand this last line, because giving love to everything we see and touch and remember is it, it's not about making this world real by bringing love to it in some way. It's recognizing its unreality and finding the love behind it. And, and when we do that, guess what? The world just brims over with love, not because the world has love in it, not because God made the world. I mean, the course is quite clear on that point, but because when we look through what the Course likes to call Christ's vision, that is what we'll behold. It's our holiness that we see out there because, yes, we're still using the body's eyes, um, but now we're perceiving a mystical vision. And as you were saying earlier, Char, anything that we do that allows us to, in a sense, expand the sense of self and drop the limited ego self for a time, whether it's fishing, and I certainly know people who, for whom fishing is, uh, you know, as sacred as a pilgrimage to Lourdes, um, or meditating, or playing with your, you know, three-year-old, whatever it is, when you get out of the limited ego self, when you identify with something bigger, a child, um, a work of art, for many, many people, Mother Nature, you know, being in nature allows them to enlarge themselves. But let's not make the mistake that that's not because nature is really acting upon you. It's because you, in allowing that vision of nature, escape for a moment from your limited sense of self. Um, and, and it just feels so good when we do that, that we now 
fall in love, as it were, with the circumstances that brought us there. But however you get there, whether it's nature, a prayer, a psalm, listening to Beethoven's Ninth, um, great lovemaking, uh, you know, uh, candlelight vigil, whatever it is that brings you there, that doesn't matter. That's just the particular path you're taking through form. That's, you know, walking the labyrinth of form to get to the center. Um, what counts is that you have dropped your limited sense of self for a time being, and now your eyes really can bring love to all you look upon. Uh-uh-uh. <laughs> that was nice. I just want to sit Good with that. Stuff. Good yeah. stuff. Let's let's go back to what you said, you know, about um someone saying, Oh, what do I gotta give everything away? There's nothing implied that you give um that you give away. What as the course teaches, what when we offer love, peace, acceptance, forgiveness, um, it's an extension of ourselves. And as an extension, as the course teaches, when you extend it comes right back to you. What you offer others is what you offer yourself and recognize in yourself. And in that recognition of the light of God in your brother, you recognize it in yourself. It's all the circular reference I mentioned at the top of the show. And when we get into a mindset like that, like, oh, I guess I just have to keep giving and I don't get anything back. That is not the, that is not universal law. As we give, we receive. And we're, you go into that mindset, that is then sacrifice versus extension. Yeah. So to sacrifice is not what is being asked of us. We're being asked to extend, recognize, and acknowledge the truth in all of us is that we are connected, we are one, and we are a little spark of God. And that helps a lot of people, whether you are in conflict with people at work or in a crowd, practice looking at everyone as a little spark. But if you want to delve deeper into the idea of sacrifice, it's explained I believe, uh, in chapter 15, the Holy Instant, and section 10, the time of rebirth. And you can explore that section to get a little deeper into sacrifice, and in some future segment, I'm sure Dr. Bob and I can explore that for you if you wish. But yeah, Chapter um, 13 has some good stuff on sacrifice, too, uh, so maybe we'll uh, you know, just call it a topic and, and do that at some point. Uh, that would be fun. Sure. But but you're absolutely right. And and again, sacrifice implies loss. How can oneness ever lose? I mean, if you think about oneness as truly the extent of isness, of reality, you can't take from oneness or it's no longer one. Um, the idea that the Son of God in his absolute oneness, her absolute oneness, its absolute oneness, could ever be diminished in any way, I mean, it's preposterous from the perspective of oneness. It only makes sense in terms of being a, a fractured, separate being, um, you know, stuck in this world of form. Mm, mm-hmm. And before we move on to the next paragraph, let's go through these questions real quickly. Um, the first question is, and it asks you to consider, look around you, and, and mind you, if you're reading the book with us, Notice that the word kingdom, when it says consider the kingdom you have made, that is in lowercase. It's a lowercase yeah. K, not the capital case, not capital K for the kingdom of God. It's this little world that we made. And the first question is, is it worthy to be a home for a child of God? But as we identify with home, deep down and, and deep in the recesses of our mind, we know we're not home. We know we don't belong here, and we know where home is. Home is with God. So tr- – 
I think what it, it wants us to do is refrain from referring to this world as something concrete and finite. This is a temporary sojourn into, or sojourn, however that's pronounced, into um, a learning experience, earth school, whatever you want to call it, and before we return home to God. Do you want to take the next question about protecting the peace? Um, I think that's you know, perfectly self-evident, uh, yes. you know, when people get to peace in this world, they, that peace is the exception. Um, even the best meditators, okay, I've meditated, I'm feeling pretty good. Oh, now let me go to work. You know, now let me, uh, get in the car and drive. You know, I mean, we think of peace as something we seek rather than peace as our natural state and what gets in the way of it is being unnatural. So no, this, this world does not protect his peace and shine love upon him. No, especially when on the way to work, the guy gets a flat tire. He's not too peaceful then, and he can't expect the world to grant him that. He would have to make a choice in his own mind, the healed right. mind that sees him. Excellent. Okay, let's move on to keeping an eye on the time. Move on to paragraph four. Go ahead. Here we go. I call upon you to remember that I have chosen you to teach the kingdom to the kingdom, both with a capital K. There are no exceptions to this lesson because the lack of exceptions is the lesson. Every son who returns to the kingdom with this lesson in his heart has healed the sonship and given thanks to God. Everyone who learns this lesson has become the perfect teacher because he has learned it of the Holy Spirit. This makes my heart smile. It really does. Yeah, me too. It just it's, – it's a simple request. I call upon you to remember that I have chosen you to teach the kingdom to the kingdom – so as we, um, as we move through the world, as we interact with others, no matter your feelings about them, everything you think, feel, say, and do, you're teaching and you're demonstrating one kingdom to another what, is, what you believe to be true. So it's our, it should be our goal and our mission then to only teach of the true kingdom, not this lower world kingdom with the lowercase letter. So if we're constantly demonstrating love, peace, and the extension of forgiveness, that is how we teach others and help them heal their minds. And I love how it says there are no exceptions to this lesson because the lack of it is the lesson. And that's so self-explanatory. Um, yeah. and, and as you heal yourself, you heal the sonship. You've given thanks to God and acknowledged your creator and learned it of the Holy Spirit who you have embraced. That's that's the farthest I can take it. It's it's just uh, that perfect. It's great. And succinct. Yeah, I mean there can't be exceptions because again, the moment you've made an exception, you're back in the world of differences and orders of difficulty. Um, you know that whole world that um, the previous paragraph made clear cannot be home to the uh, Son of God. Um, so I'm thinking, in the interest of time, we should probably just keep reading. Yep. Go right ahead. Okay, when a mind has only light, it knows only light. Its own radiance shines all around it and extends out into the darkness of other minds, transforming them into majesty. The majesty, capital M, of God is there for you to recognize and appreciate and know. Recognizing the majesty of God as your brother is to accept your own inheritance. God gives only equally. If you recognize his gift in anyone, you have acknowledged what he has given you. Nothing is so easy to recognize as truth. 
This is the recognition that is immediate, clear, and natural. You have trained yourself not to recognize it, and this has been very difficult for you. Yeah, another nice understatement. Very difficult mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, it's tied us up in knots. Um, mm-hmm. N-O-T-S. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm going to focus on one sentence here that I think people might have trouble with, uh, and it's recognizing the majesty of God as your brother is to accept your own inheritance. Um, and And I think what that's trying to say is that when we recognize in our brother the majesty of God, we necessarily recognize it in ourselves because God gives only equally. I mean, if you're really seeing that light um, in someone else, then you have to also be seeing it in you. Um, You know, there's a section that I I just read the other day in chapter 16 on uh, called the reward of teaching. It's uh, section three, and it talks about, you know, if you've taught something, you have to know it at some level, even though you may block yourself from the awareness of knowing it. Um, you know, it, it's got to be in you if you're giving it. When a mind has only light, it knows only light, and its own radiance shines all around it and extends out into the darkness of other minds. There is only one mind that is the sonship, the son of God. We are all that mind, both seemingly separately, but completely collectively. Um, and the goal is to wake up to that oneness, and when you do that, you do see it everywhere and therefore necessarily recognize it in yourself as well. It goes back to what you were saying earlier, Shar, about, yeah, that giving is receiving necessarily. Because how can oneness give to anything else without also receiving it? In fact, in oneness, there really isn't giving and receiving. The whole concept of giving and receiving implies two beings that are separate and distinct. And yet, Again, the Course uses that, but see that they're not distinct, and that when we give, we also receive, which really proves that that, that, that we're one. Um, we've trained ourselves not to see this, and yes, it has been very difficult for us. Boo-hoo, we cry. Um, <laughs> that's all I have on that one. <laughs> that, no, that's great. And I can um, break it down and remember something I said years ago that really kind of made it click for uh, everyone in my class. And that is, as you just said, you know, giving and receiving are, are not distinct or separate. They are the same thing happening at the same time um, because you can't do one and then do the other. It happens simultaneously. But to make it easier to, to recognize the majesty of God in your brother, um, in order to recognize that, you have to acknowledge it in yourself. So this statement makes it that much easier. It takes one to know one because you can't recognize (laughs) it in someone else until you accept it in yourself. So when you look upon someone and say, wow, they are such a nice person, that's because you're recognizing in them what you acknowledge in yourself. And it works against you. That's actually brilliant. I mean, think about it It works against you. Yeah, go ahead. But, But you can also capitalize the word one. It takes one to know one. One, exactly. It works at the level of separation. Yep, takes mm-hmm. one to know one, and it works at the level of oneness. Um, that's beautiful. I'm I'm going to use that again. <laughs> you feeling it? Okay. Yeah, yep, because yep. you know. Hey, we're sharing look, it. That's how we spread. You're it. welcome. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I like to get into the practical so that we can all we can all have that moment together. But let's let's flip the coin and look at the other side. 
you have on one side you have it, it takes one to know one, and that's easy to understand that you know what you recognize is what you acknowledge in yourself. The hard part, and if you want to play with this, is the other side of the coin that says what we don't like in others is what we don't like in ourselves. So if you're recognizing in them something that rubs you the wrong way, that's how you feel about yourself, and that gives you a point of reference from which to begin working on yourself with self-awareness, forgiveness, and self-acceptance. Yeah. I don't need to. Which, I don't even need to say anything else on that. It's the same thing, just a different perspective to help you understand how you're operating and what what our mo is with respect to other people. Yeah, and that's what forgiveness. You know, that's the process of working forgiveness. It, Absolutely. It, it's simultaneously out out there towards your you know the other person, your brother, your sister, but it's also simultaneously inward because of that oneness. Mm-hmm. And in its practical application, if you want to make this easier for yourself, train yourself to recognize it, and this will become much easier for you because of that shift in your perception. But it's a conscious choice to do it, and you can use the lessons to do that and um, use that as a guide to set an intention for the day. I will see truth, I will see peace, and I will see the light of God in others. Okay. Mm. So we're at paragraph six. I'll just go six. right ahead, Dr. Bob. Yeah, Okay, please. back to the environment. Out of your natural environment, you may well ask, what is truth, since truth is the environment by which and for which you were created? You do not know yourself because you do not know your creator. You do not know your creations because you do not know your brothers who created them with you. I have already said that, the only whole, uh, that only the whole sonship is worthy to be co-creator with God because only the whole sonship can create like him. Whenever you heal a brother by recognizing his worth, you are acknowledging his power to create and yours. He cannot have lost what you recognize, and you must have the glory you see in him. He is a co-creator with God, with you. Deny his creative power, and you are denying yours, and that of God who created you. So it's that whole round and round we go of recognition, and as we recognize the good in, in the other people that we interact with, we heal them. We actually heal them through that recognition. But I do want to point out, and Dr. Bob add to this, um, there are specific words. I'm trying, you're so good at quoting stuff. I'm uh-huh. looking at my, I have, I, I made bookmarkers where I wrote quotes down on. Mm. And I think it's on here, but it's about the word no, that to know is to recognize and to accept because you can't, um, undo what you know, and you can't understand what you don't recognize. And um, yeah, I, I don't know where that would be. I mean, the course uses know and knowledge to refer to you know God and what the knowledge of God, the knowledge of oneness. Uh, everything else is perception. The course would say, when the world of perception, you can't know anything. Uh, and again, it's it's you know it's 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 defining words in a very particular way, which is part of our learning curve. I mean, this is mm-hmm. truly a course. When you learn to think about perception isn't knowing, then you can't say, oh, I know the trees are green or I know the sky is blue. I mean, sure, um, practically speaking, you know, we'll go through life that way. But the word knowledge is reserved for for our awakening into that world of God. And it reinforces our, our understanding uh, that the world of perception isn't real. And, of course, the moment we remember that, 
we have the mm-hmm. choice of opting back for what is real. Mm. Awesome. All right. Want to take paragraph seven? Um, real quick, just before I get there, this paragraph six talks about you do not know your creations because you do not know your brothers who created them with you. Only the whole sonship is worthy to be co-creator. Only the whole, this is one of those things in the course that people, you know, kind of, you know, rub their heads and go, well, what are our, our creations? And I think this, this, this line here, these couple of lines, um, along with a, a couple of other places in the, in, in the text make clear, we don't know, but as the one son of God, God's creation, we are so like God that we have to create like God, and therefore we have our creations, which are exactly like us, only we created them in the same way that God created us. But what this is saying is basically, like, you know, there, it's almost like saying you have these you know, there's an energy out there that's so waiting to embrace you and you are so intimately tied to it. Um, it would be like saying, you know, there's a, an entire country out there where you know every single being living in it. They all know you and love you and you just need to find your way back there. And you're going, well, how could that possibly be? We can't know our creations until we are back in the oneness of the sonship because that's what gave rise to them. Uh, as long as there's this sense of separation of a piece missing, it stays at the level of abstraction, and all we can do is go, okay, you know, um, I, I, we, we created like God created, um, and we have creations. There's no way in our separated state that we can ever know what that is. Um, mm. Just as, you know, we can't really know what our brothers are in our separated state. We can't look on them truly. We don't know who we are, um, and that's what this is saying, and it's saying, you know, that when, I mean, echoing what we already said, you know, that when we heal a brother, when we, you know, when we recognize in in him that glory, we are also um, affirming our own glory and our own creative power. Mm. That's a good way of putting it. Okay, so, okay. last paragraph. You cannot deny part of truth. You do not know your creations because you do not know their creator, which is us. I added that. Let me read. You do not know your creations because you do not know their creator. You do not know yourself because you do not know yours. Your creations cannot establish your reality any more than you can establish God's. But you can know both. And know is in italics. Being is known by sharing. Because God shared his being with you, you can know him. But you must also know all he created to know what they have shared. Without your father, you will not know your fatherhood. The kingdom of God includes all his sons and their children, who are as like the sons as they are like the father. Know then the sons of God, and you will know all creation." So this, again, can can sound pretty um, tongue-tying and confusing, Um, but what it's saying is that you can't just deny part of truth and still have truth and no truth. Um, And it's saying, we don't know our creations, what I was just talking about, because we don't know their creator. That is us. We don't recognize the sonship. We think we're still separate. So therefore, we can't know what the sonship created. And we don't know who we are, 
um, because we don't recognize our creator. So, you know, you do not know yourself because you do not know yours. It's a strange way of saying it, but it's referring to, you know, to your creator. Um, we don't know God, therefore we can't know us. And because we don't know who we are, we can't know our creations in this kind of, call it a, a chain reaction of, of creation. Um, but it goes on to say that our creations can't establish our reality any more than we can establish God's. The creator establishes the reality of that which is created. But we can know all of it. Because God shared his being with us, we know God. We didn't create God. That's the one way in which we are different from God is that God created us and we didn't create God. There is that you know, sort of order of operations, if you will. But other than that, the way creation works, there is no difference. And again, this is impossible to understand from within a world of form. Um, if you read mystics from any tradition and their experiences of oneness, it begins to become, um, you know, comprehensible. But again, not from an intellectual mind way, more from just sort of a deep inner knowing of, yeah, you know, I have a sense of what that is. But being is known by sharing, and and you know, um, and this is how, this is how, this is the only true knowledge um, in terms of the course's definition of knowledge. Know then the sons of God and you will know all creation. Awaken to the reality of your brothers and you'll remember God. And in remembering God, you're going to remember who you are and then you're going to remember your creations and your creations, creations, and your creations, creations, creations. Uh, you will know all of creation. Um, I don't know. Sounds pretty cool. Uh, and can't wait till we do it. <laughs> of course, right. we've already done it. <laughs> Um, you know, the course makes but, the point time time is over, but while we're working it out here, you know, we can't possibly know what our creations are. Okay. We'd have Thoughts? to we'd have to uh, yeah, we'd have to at some point turn around and behold what we created. Just with the with the reminder that um when we create it's of love. If you're perceiving a mess, you made it with your ego. Only That's the right. ego can make a mess. And as you were speaking, Dr. Bob, I had an image of somebody or a bunch of people wandering around with blindfolds on. Mm. Then, you get the, then you get the image that if we take off the blindfold and simply look into the light, having seen the light, which is truth, we can then look about us and recognize the light in everyone yes. else. And I, I went through this yesterday on the air, but I think it bears repeating, especially with regard to um, the tragedy in Orlando. Actually, there were several. A young girl was murdered backstage after a concert. Then Sunday was the Orlando massacre. And then Tuesday, a little two-year-old was killed by an alligator unexpectedly. Right. So um, it's very heavy, and I don't, I don't know what energies are taking uh, – changing direction or I don't know what's happening in Orlando but it's something it's, it's got to be a reflection of the collective conscious to bring darkness to light and I had mentioned before on the show you may remember Dr. Bob that I was given a directive um, by Jesus that when something like this happens like with the, the Newtown Connecticut tragedy mm. I think that's when he gave this to me when you behold this and you're so upset and you, and you, you know you're out of balance and you're grieving no matter how close you are to the situation we have compassion and we can feel for the people who are directly involved. 
and I know that everybody's feeling that way towards the survivors and the families of those who were um, who perished in that attack. But here's the phrase once again that I was directed to say in response to those tragedies in order to help heal myself as well as the collective. And it was, I am the light of the world. And to break that down once more, I am being um, synonymous with Om, which is God and the sound that he used to create the world. The light is the truth. And it reflects the first sentence of the paragraph. You cannot deny part of the truth. And so basically we're saying that um, of the world now means of the illusion or above the illusion as I write this down. So we're basically saying I am, which is the two most powerful words and the one most powerful phrase, I am the truth above the illusion. So when we look upon these tragedies and say I am the light of the world is a direct transmission of truth into our subconscious minds and it will help you heal. And it will, it will bring you some semblance of peace if you're willing to accept that and try to let go of your perception of what is actually taking place in the illusion that we're all witnessing. Do you want to add anything to that, Dr. Bob? Um, I just wanted to say that, yes, all three of those examples paint particularly grisly notions of death. Um, and, you know, the Course is very clear that there is no death, and yet, you know, we, we certainly do worship it in our culture. So here's, you know, one example of someone who, you know, became a star from nowhere and then gets, you know, shot after a performance. Um, people who are, you know, coming out as gay and happy and going to a club and having, you know, an enjoyable time and, you know, getting massacred by someone who is subscribed to an ideology that says that that's somehow sinful or evil. And then, the most completely innocent of all, a little child gets, you know, pulled in by uh, a crocodile and eaten. Really the most basic form of death in the planet because everything alive has to eat. Um, and, you know, even if you're a pure vegan, there's still vegetable life that is dying to support the cells in your body. The whole world of illusion is based on death, and yet we focus on certain forms of death as being far more horrible than others. Uh, but, you know, Jesus makes very clear in the Course that the whole purpose of his coming was to give uh, a lesson on the impermanence of death, that even a, a, something as gruesome as the crucifixion and all that led up to it really meant nothing. It was a lesson in the unreality of the body and that mind is real, body is not. So when you reflect on being the light of the world, you are embracing once again, you're identifying with your true self, capital S, and that is the only way to overcome death. There's um, a section, um, the first section in chapter 16 is called True Empathy, and it reminds us that to empathize, as the Course defines it, does not mean to join in suffering. Now, I'm a therapist. You know, I hear something uh, tough. I'm like, oh, wow, that's really tough. I try it on for size. The Course is saying, no, that's not what's asked of us. What's asked of us is what we just read. When a mind has only light, it knows only rate, and its own radiance shines it and extends it into the darkness of other minds. So in a time where there's a lot of this darkness, our, our, our task is not to join in the suffering or the recrimination or uh, you know, 
the need to somehow make it right within the terms of the world. I mean, that's all fine. Yes, let's pass laws. Let's do whatever. But none of that is going to solve the problem. There's only one problem. That's the problem of separation. There's only one solution, the atonement. The Holy Spirit is the means of the atonement. The Holy Spirit has already achieved the atonement. We're just catching up. So I would just say that, yes, anytime one of these things happens, um, whether it's in a far country or whether, like Shar, it's in your backyard, um, or whether it happens to someone you know even, our task is always to remember our, our light, um, our reality, that we are the light of the world, uh, or to use a, a lesson that comes shortly after that, the light of the world brings peace to every mind through my forgiveness. Um, mm-hmm. If you're the light of the world and you're practicing forgiveness, then we are bringing peace to every mind. And yes, as long as we're in this world of form, we're going to keep seeing horrible stuff. I think, if anything, the contrast is growing sharper and sharper because, you know, it, it's a way to wake you up. Um, you know, in, in, in the old uh, Zen meditation, uh, or no, it was Quaker meeting, I think, um, when someone would fall asleep, someone was always walking around and they'd, you know, either tickle them with that squirrel's tail to wake them up or smack mm-hmm. them with a wooden uh, pole. You know, um, sometimes we get tickled, sometimes we get smacked, but the ultimate goal is wake up, wake up, wake up. Remember, yes, you are the light of the world. You are heart. You are love. Um, and this need not be. So, yeah. yeah, that's. Yeah. Extend extend your compassion to anyone you see that is experiencing a painful situation. But do your best to avoid sympathy because, yeah. as I understand, sympathy it is a mixture of uh, compassion and self-pity. So we don't want to be so sympathetic that we – drag ourselves into and take on that other person's suffering. We want to help heal them with compassion and love and extend that to them. That is what they need. Oh my. Well, this has been, this has been terrific and I will miss you over the summer. Same. I'll look forward to restarting whether in August or September. So July, we will definitely not be talking for those who um, are tuning in every month. Uh, mm-hmm. August, stay tuned, as the networks say. Um, September, I definitely hope to be, uh, you know, back here doing this again. Okay, that sounds and great. I wish you, Shar, and everyone else uh, many, many, many blessings. Um, you know, for this uh, this difficult time where, yeah, a lot of. Um, a lot of ugliness, a lot of dark, seeming darkness has come up. And, hey, if, if we can't be the light bringers and the peace bringers, then who's going to do it? You know, look in the mirror. You're, you're the one. You're the son of God. You know, you're the one, as Jesus said, I call upon you to remember that I have chosen you to teach the kingdom to the kingdom. I mean, how powerful is that? You just got chosen. You know, yeah. so it, it, it's up to us, you know, and again, it's not about going out and, you know, enforcing some kind of peace on earth. It's about finding it in our own minds first and finding all those places where we still believe in darkness. You know, a mind mm. that believes in darkness can't radiate its light. Yes. And it seems we needed another wake up call because once again, we've all come together and united against the darkness of attack and separation. Um, that this individual uh, was feeling, but um, we can do it. And if the, if if we just did it more consistently, we wouldn't 
hopefully need these reminders as in like right after 9-11 and then all the other tragedies that followed, you know? All we can do is accept the atonement. You know, the sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept atonement for himself. Mm. You know, where you're not at peace, let's work to be at peace, regardless yes. okay. of the form of what's out there. Mm-hmm. That's the lesson. Well, it's a tough one. That, yeah. It is. It is. Well, our prayer for today is uh, rather brief on um, the page I'm on. There's actually two very small ones, so I'm going to read them together. And this is from a book published. Uh, by the Foundation for Inner Peace, ladies and gentlemen, entitled Choose Once Again, Selections from A Course in Miracles. So before I get to the prayer, Bob, um, just one more time, congratulations on your new position at the Foundation as co-president. And I know you'll be stellar and that you'll take everything forward. And if there's anything I can do to help, of course, you know you count on me. You're doing it. You're doing it, Char. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm working hard over here, man. <laughs> you are. You are. Hey, you know. Kudos and, and wonder. You you are doing it's, it. it. <laughs> it's my joy. It's truly my yeah. joy. Okay, here's our here's our prayer for the day, ladies and gentlemen. This is on page 103 of Choose Once Again. We thank you, Father, for the light that shines forever in us, and we honor it because you share it with us. We are one, united in this light, and one with you, at peace with all creation and ourselves. I walk with God in perfect holiness. I light the world. I light my mind and all the minds which God created one with me. Amen. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, God bless and be at peace.